editing Aisha here. I just want to pop in before any of you guys listen to this. I would just like to say this was my first ever episode. I didn't really have a system in place, didn't really know what I was doing. So just, you know, just offer me a little bit of grace. You know, I was winging it. I'm pretty sure in this episode, my mic wasn't working and we were using like google meets it was a lot there was a lot happening and i was just trying to make things happen so i just feel like people i just feel like the world should just be nice to me okay thanks have fun bye hi so the following podcast contains adult themes sexual content and strong language so you've been warned my name is avril louise clark more on the porn conversation i just wanted to get like your story with porn personally when did you first see it Ooh, wow when did I first see porn okay so I first saw porn when I was in I believe I was in 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 ninth grade it was quite late my experience so if I can kind of like bloop, 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 black back out and kind of explain the timeline of where porn was at when I was growing up for example you know like the Pamela Anderson sex tape came out when I was like a kid I remember like hearing about it knowing about it knowing these things are happening knowing about like sex work in general there's hotlines you can call and things would come on the tv advertisements at night but like we didn't really have the porn the access to it that we had today and so when I was in ninth grade I remember I went over to a friend's house and we (laughs) their their parents had like HBO and at that time HBO I believe oh it's always HBO I love where this is going yeah is it because it's always like paid purview with some paid service that your parents are like paying for but they don't fully know or something I love it continue exactly and and like this person like their parents were were very American uh in the sense that they were like born in America um and that's not really often in for parents of kids in Miami we're very like immigrant first gen vibe right i'm i'm from new york i get it okay yeah 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 so so yeah so i went over and i was like whoa because my parents never like hardly even bought like cable packages you know we we didn't have anything fancy like Super that cheap mm-hmm. so i was like okay so there's like a password we get in all the stuff and then and then they were like okay let's like watch porn and i remember just being like i don't know what i'm about to see um, and so that was kind of like my first experience. I believe it was like just like a couple. Um, I, it felt like very like um, old school in some ways. I just like that was the first time. But I just remember like sitting there watching it and being like, interesting. And I'm sure I probably came across things on the internet and stuff before then. But that was really like the one that's like solidified in my mind. Like, yeah, that's the one that's like imprinted. It's kind of like branded in the back of your head. It's not leaving. You'll be 90. You still remember that moment. Yeah. 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 You'll be telling your grandchildren about that one. So, <laughs> so like, how did you first learn about sex? I keep, I feel like I'm jumping everywhere. I have ADHD. Oh, I'm sorry. Great. Okay. So first time I learned about sex, I had these neighbors that grew up across the street from me. And so, you know, we would like go out and play on the streets every day. Then one day they came over and I remember that their older sister had gotten pregnant. They were from a very uh, Christian family, kind of like mega church Christian kind of family. Mm-hmm. You know, Bible stomping Christians, yeah. like Bible belt. Right. Yeah, but in Miami, very Cuban yeah. family, and so it was like all tied in, all such that, and loved them, best friends. And I remember us just like hanging on the monkey bars and being like them being like, "Yeah, our sister is having a baby." And I remember just being like, "Huh," like as like, very little, and just being kind of like, "How does that even happen?" You know, no one's really explained this to me before. And so they told me that that actually it was like the immaculate conception, basically that. The, the sister Jesus Christ himself had like came down and was like hey girl yep it's time she was like the next mother mary okay she was kind of like, like that yeah and i was like i and they were like uh yeah the doctor gave her the wrong pill and now she's pregnant and i remember being like okay i'll buy it because i didn't have any sex education 10 <laughs> out of 10 <laughs> i love that no that's amazing I know, I know, I know, like, it's bad you're supposed to tell children, like, genitals and all of the things, but something about that is just, 
I mean, it's better than me. Because up until that point, like, how old were you when this happened? I was just trying to think about that. I was probably at least, like, nine. Old enough. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So up until that point, when I had learned, like, what was, what, like, intercourse was, mm-hmm. I thought, like, I was just going based off of what I saw on TV. So I was like, if you kissed in a bed, that's when a baby happens. And that's crazy. I guess I'll just kiss a man just never in a bed. Um, I think this this has to contribute to like why I'm so interested in sex education. So my parents, of course, they never told me anything. So you said that you grew up in more of a sex negative household, or would you consider it more sex neutral? Good question. Like we don't talk about it, but we don't hate it. It's just something that we don't talk about. We don't talk about it until like it became something to talk about. And then it was very sex negative. Like teenager, young adult, very sex negative. What about you? It was more neutral or what? My parents never, ever, ever, ever spoke to me about it. I was in fourth grade. I don't remember how old I was. I just remember that I was in fourth grade. Well, back when we like had books before they started banning books, everybody loved to read. Yeah. So there was this book that I guess people's parents could rent out. Like there are certain books that depending on like the age appropriateness, you could rent out, but the parent would rent it out so they could read it with the child. So there was a this like sex education book that I guess all the parents were renting out to like read to their kids, to teach them like what consent was and how babies were made. And mm-hmm. my mom and my dad, they work like 12 hour shifts. So they didn't have time for that. So everybody was talking about how babies were made because everybody was reading that book. And I was like, oh, my God, um, what is this book? And like, I know how babies are made. You kiss on a bed. And they were like, girl, it is way worse than that. He also said the words, the word is like, it's worse, you know, so you can only imagine the, the conversations. I, that they yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't like I think they said that it was much worse because they knew that I was going to have like a dramatic reaction to it because I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm Jamaican. I'm, I'm a little dramatic about everything. So. <laughs> They they handled it with so much care for children. What were we like eight nine? They handled it so well. So they took it was all during lunch, and then they took me aside, out of like reach to everyone. And then because I guess everybody had known at that point, and I was the only one. So then they took me aside to like a little quiet corner, and then they explained everything to me. And I was like, oh okay, that makes sense. However, me personally, I think I will opt out of this one. <laughs> and. <laughs> That seems like a great decision. I get it, you know, sticks and holes. So that that sounds great. But um, personally, I just think I'll rather not do it. And they were like laughing at me, and they were like, "No, it's gonna be fine." And I was like, "Well, we are eight, so I don't think we have to worry about that right now." Like, I think I think this will become an issue once I get boobs. And I think I was right. That did become an yeah. issue once I got boobs. So when it was it, just <laughs> unfortunately, right? I mean, like... yeah. That's a really interesting story. I think, you know, kids, this is why I think the porn conversation or like sex education in general is just so important because I feel like kids are curious. They are talking about it. We were having this conversation at what, like eight, nine. It's like they're happening. It's happening. Yeah. Like my little niece just turned eight yesterday and I'm just like, of course she's thinking and, and hearing things already. And so I feel like people like definitely... Uh, have this vibe of like not my child but yes your child and yes we need to be having these conversations everyone's child yeah there's so many instances where I'm like oh hear all these horror stories of I didn't know what sex was until like something crazy happened I think it's very specific to my elementary school and for my specific experience, it wasn't exclusively for girls. I remember the first time I heard a zygote because a boy was explaining to another boy, like, how babies progress in the womb. That's and, like, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and I, I was like, I know what an embryo is, but what is a zygote? And then I just sat in on the conversation the whole way through. And I was like, huh. I, and, and you know what I find really interesting, too, is as a woman, like, it's not even just, like, sex learning what sex is because sex can be so many different things yet they still choose to only teach us that sex is you know penetration penis and vagina sex or that sex it can be harmful and you need to make sure that you're not having the harmful sex exactly they talk about sex what it is in terms of uh penis and vagina penetration and also the consequences and when you say consequences of sex immediately your mind goes to the negative consequences unintended pregnancy, STI transmission, right? But it's important that when we talk about the consequences of sex too, we talk about the 
good ones as well, right? We talked that it can it can bring possible connection, um, closeness in a relationship. It can bring you pleasure. I think if we start to talk about sex in more of a pleasure positive way, even to young people, it's not going to make it anything worse. It's going to release them off the shame and this guilt and this feeling of, well, it'll be a problem once I get boobs. Like you said, you know, it's like, it's all tied into this sexualization when I feel like it would be so much more freeing and respectful and healthy in a way to teach them that it's not something bad. It's something, you know, it's the source of life for many, but also it's a source of pleasure and a source of connection. And just like anything in life, it comes with consequences, both good and bad. And so this is something that we can prepare you for, but not in a way that I'm going to make you feel fearful of or shame for. I want you to be curious about it and excited about it and, yeah, if you're worried about it, cool, let's talk about it too. Or maybe you decide it's not something you ever want to do ever. And that's great. Um, so it's just like more freedom. It's so interesting that you were talking about fear, which people are really scared to bring up the fact that sex can happen between people of the same sex, which I think is like really important because I was listening to a girl talk about her experience finding out how babies were made and it was with her and her sister and her mom just told her like penis and vagina blah 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 man and woman who cares of course she didn't know at the time that she was a lesbian but she heard that and started crying I mean tears and didn't stop for the whole day because she was like I have to do that with a man oh my goodness I think this is the end I think this is it her little sister it was so cute her little sister went back to her mom and was like mommy she won't stop crying. Like, we need to do something about this. And then her mom was like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't have to do this with a man. Like, like this isn't a hard and fast rule. She was already scarred for life. So she was still crying because she was like, eight. When I was younger, I feel like conversations like this would have been so important to me just because I didn't know that I was bisexual. Because if you go based off of what you see in the movies, everyone's bisexual, at least if you're a woman. If you're like presenting as a woman, you're automatically bisexual. Like everybody's kissing girls. And so I remember when I was in middle school and we were talking about like how excited we were for high school. And I said with the utmost confidence, I was like, high school is going to be so fun. We get to go to sleepovers and they're going to be boys. And then we get to kiss girls with those boys in the room. Oh my goodness. This sounds great. And everybody, it was like a record scratch. And everybody said, what? You want to do what? I was scratching my head like, um, yeah, what do you mean? And they were like, why would you ever want to kiss a girl? I said, oh, so we're not. I was looking around the room. I was like, so we're none of us here are thinking about that. Okay, cool. Thankfully, I went to like a really like liberal school where like we had like queer people around. Like that was um when I found out like what non-binary was because we had a student that was non-binary, which was very funny in hindsight, considering that they had a boy's line and a girl's line. So they would stand in the middle. Mm-hmm. That's always really interesting to me, like how you find out when things are okay and like what's okay. And when you like find out this is normal, but I can't tell my parents about it because they don't think it's normal. The part about it is just how cis heteronormative society is in general. I think like why it's not like as a straight person or a heterosexual person, you like have to come out and be like, guys, I'm straight like something that is embedded in our society and I'm really I'm really curious what films you're watching because I would love to watch more bisexual women in films <laughs> but that's the thing the thing is that those films that I were, that I saw well I wasn't supposed mm-hmm. to be watching them my sister was watching them and I would sneak into the room because again I need to know everybody's business at all times so I have no idea what these films were, but it was always, for example, there would be like a sleepover and it would be like spin the bottle and then it would like go on a girl and then they would be, again, I thought it was like an act because I'm melodramatic about everything. So if that was me, I'd be like, oh my God, I have to kiss a girl. Gross. I don't want to do that. The whole entire time is like, yes, I want to do that. I want to do that expeditiously, actually. They would like do the whole huff and moan, but they would eventually kiss and I was like, ooh, can't wait to get to high school because that's exactly what... Like I'm gonna, yeah. Like (laughs) high school's where the magic happens, or it would be like a girl that's like drunk at the bar, and then she sees another girl, and she looks that that's her eyelashes, and they kiss. I thought that's just what happens, but apparently that was just the male gaze. But the male gaze were doing the thing. I was enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
I mean, that's good. I think that's a really good thing that you felt like you felt comfortable to say, because obviously you had the right people around you to feel like you could not feel like this wasn't quote unquote expected or of, of a person to say, of being like, hey, I'm very aligned with who I am. I understand what I'm interested in, what I desire and what I'm excited about growing up and going into high school. And this is what it is. You know, I think like we kind of just learn as we go around. And I also think that's a very interesting learning experience too, because you probably learned in that moment too of like, oh, maybe not every space is going to be accepting of me, of who I am, basically, quote unquote, coming out, right? You know, saying your interest in, in both girls and boys and, and having this excitement and desire. And I think that's, that's an unfortunate learning experience, right? And I, I think that's why I really liked the porn conversation because like I know that like most people like learn through porn. Yeah. And for me personally, I feel like I'm very strange in like the way that I learned about sex. And I didn't realize mm -hmm. until I think I was about 13, which is when I realized, oh, the way that I'm learning about sex is drastically different. I just automatically thought everything that I did was normal. So when I had for example, my first boyfriend, and he was like, how did you learn about sex? And then I sent them, I believe her name, Lacey Green. I was like really big on YouTube and she's like a sex educator and she worked for um, Discovery News and she would cover the most recent updates and like everything that had to do about sex. That's where I learned. So I was, oh, I learned it from Lacey Green. And he looked her up and she was like, oh, she's just a sex educator? I thought she was a porn star. And I was like, what? <laughs> and that's when I was like, why would I, how could you learn about sex through pornography? Like, what do yeah. you even mean? It's I like learning sit down. Or watching, I don't know, a series where they're driving. I don't know. You know, like it's learning just, how to drive through NASCAR. Exactly. Exactly. And just being like, okay, turn left all the way. Um, the whole time. And hit and don't hit the brakes. And so it's just, yeah, I think like that's a huge part of it too, is understanding that there's two parts to it, right? Like porn is adult entertainment, not sex education. That's the fact, that's for sure. Um, but on the other hand, Porn can bring people a lot of pleasure. And actually people, if they consume porn that aligns with their values and is interesting for them, like it can be educational in some ways. If you use porn literacy and you understand that the difference between the fantasy and the reality of porn, like what goes on behind the scenes, that these people are real people. Uh, they, you know, do STI testing. They have boundaries, personal boundaries, they uh, have bodily autonomy, they are, you know, using contraception, they are, you know, going through many, many talks, bathroom breaks, food breaks, everything you can imagine. It's just, it's a job. It's work. It's a performance. But it can also be really, it can bring people a lot of pleasure and a lot of excitement and a lot of connection. I think porn, we're going to be seeing porn change a lot from what it was like even from when i was a kid till now it's amazing how much porn as it's like so a diverse industry has changed yeah it is so diverse and so i think there's always going to be porn out there that is going to make people feel good and maybe be even educational and so it's going to be something to just know and learn about just as you probably wouldn't follow someone on TikTok that makes you feel like crap about your body. You know, you keep following these accounts and seeing this content that's sending you messages that you don't look a certain way, you don't behave a certain way, you don't dress a certain way, you don't speak a certain way, then you're, you don't matter essentially, or you're not seen, you're not deserving of pleasure. Um, yeah, you're not performing properly. You're not performing properly. And that's what society tells us. Social media tells us that too. If you behave and perform and act in certain ways, your society will gift you. Society will love you. Society will support you, like yeah. you, follow you. And society will pat you on the back and praise you. And they'll lift you up in a little chair and walk with you all around <laughs> town. A little crown on your head. And so it's just kind of like breaking that boundary state, breaking the male gaze, breaking that like bringing more queer voices on the screen, behind the screens, um, kind of like having this, this other reinvention of 
born, which is still going, still happening, still working on it. <laughs> so, yeah. so how did I get started as a sexologist? I guess I was very much inspired by a sexologist who came to my school when I was a teenager. I grew up in Miami, so very, very sexy, sexualized city, but within a very conservative state. So yeah, I didn't really have much um, sex education pretty much at all growing up, not either in school or at home. And so my friends and I created the HIV AIDS Awareness Club in our high school, which brought in some very cool sex educators and sexologists. And one of them really stood out to me and she kind of lived rent free in my head for like the next, you know, 25 years. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's a, that's an exaggeration. I'm not a, that old, but, um, definitely throughout university, definitely post university. And, um, it kind of came to me, uh, about, geez, like six years ago now that it was something I wanted to pursue myself. So. I found a program at a university here in Spain to study clinical sexology, and I did that. And and it, ever since then, it's been kind of like a whirlwind, bringing me lots of different spaces and places, and that's truly how it began. That was going to be my next question, um, a little bit about what you do now. Yes. So I guess like to clear up the, the titles situation. Um, as an undergrad, I didn't study anything related to this at all. So I had my bachelor's in political science and national relations. We studied Middle Eastern studies. I was very like politically driven and motivated. And then I moved to moved to Spain because I didn't, I graduated university and I just didn't really know what to do just yet. So I did kind of like a gap year thing. Um, and from then on, yeah, after I received my degree, I got a master's in clinical sexology. I um, I started to kind of, you know, work mainly in education, so adult education, so doing like sex education workshops, helping develop other um, educators workshops here in Spain and in the U.S. and kind of like uh, um yeah, be of support to others who are already like trailblazing the whole sex ed community. And I learned a lot from being around these people. And I really kind of also gained my own confidence to just like do it, you know, because it's so hard to just sometimes do it. Do right, it. Nike. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I get that. <laughs> no, it's just, but also I just, I love that you like were like, oh, I'm lost in life. What if I travel to Spain? I love that. That's so cute. No, because I I, I want to do the same thing. Because I'm just like I don't know. Maybe yeah. I should just leave the country. Like, you know, when they're like, "What if I just got on a plane and I just got lost and like no right. one could find me?" And I was like, "Oh my god, maybe I should do that." Like, you know, yeah. Amber Alert out for me. <laughs> but yeah. Exactly. So how did yeah. you start your work with Eric Luston? Was that what you first started out with? Like, how did you yeah. transition into that? Yeah, so that progression was really interesting. I, like I told you, I was kind of like, uh, I started, I, you know, I was just working, like finding jobs I could do. I, at that time, I was, you know, finishing my degree. And then also I did like um, an internship with this, um, with this like sex positive organization. Um, and then I was just like trying my best to like find people and talk to people and just like try to find out how I can get in this world. And um, and then uh, the pandemic hit <laughs> and I was still teaching English classes and just having these random jobs kind of a little bit lost in the sauce. And then during the pandemic, I realized like, okay, I have this degree. I'm kind of interested. I'm like supporting other educators, which is really exciting for me, but I'm not actually doing it myself. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm here in Barcelona. I knew about Erica Luss through watching a Netflix documentary, like when I was studying and I was like, okay, this is cool. She's here. They're doing this thing. Um, and how can I be a part of it? So I was like, okay, well, we're all locked down and they're still going they're obviously still working and everything and i was like i want to be a part of them and there was it was really strict of like getting in and out of the country so i was like okay chances are slim that maybe someone 
is going to intern for them at this moment because mm -hmm. <laughs> no one can really get in and out easily. And so um, I applied for an internship there. And then they presented me with the Porn Conversation, which is their nonprofit project. And said, hey, we want to revamp this. We think you'd be perfect for it. And um, yeah, I went through the process of kind of like presenting my ideas. They liked it, thank goodness. And then I was a part of it. Um, so I worked, yeah, as a freelancer for a year, kind of developing that. I worked alongside Dr. Bianca Laureano, who's amazing. She's based in LA, really, really great sexologist and just human in general. And um, she mentored me through that and then yeah, and then I, I started working with Erica. I started working on set as intimacy coordinator, which has been really, really exciting for me. And I'm still helping run and manage the Porn Conversation, which is our nonprofit sex ed platform. I just feel like intimacy coordinators, I didn't, I've never heard them being used in porn the only time, because I'm a film major, so the mm -hmm. only time I've really heard them being used is on the set of, like, film scenes to, like, mm -hmm. help train the actors through, but my real question is, how has that, like, changed? Like, when you were given that title, were you like, okay, girl, but, like, what do you want me to do? Like, what am I supposed to be here? Am I supposed to, like, pat them on the back after an orgasm? Like, what's happening? <laughs> I love this question. So actually, I became aware of it happening in the Hollywood scene, you know, especially after Me Too is like really when it started growing and becoming more prevalent in like the LA based film scene. Um, being people who are literally coordinating sexual or, um, you know, behaviors on set, whether or not it's kissing or hugging and cuddling and to all to having sex and um that is where like the division is obviously between hollywood versus what we do because they're actually having sex on set um versus in hollywood where it's like a coordination of like mimicking right left foot there right foot there like you know very much like what is it twister but yeah. like non-sexual twister but like make it like semi-erotic but also like that's not how a real person would moan that sounds that's the crazy thing that's so interesting to me is like when actors get critiqued on how they are personally like sexually expressing themselves in a sex scene where i'm like okay girl you don't moan like that but that don't mean that i don't want like but i mean i get it it's something that's very nitpicky about me i'm like okay just because you don't moan like that doesn't mean that's not how they, like you weren't in their bed last night I get it. I get it too. And I guess like the one thing that I'm more nitpicky about when it comes to watching films or TV is like, there's obviously not any liquid in that cup. I can see the way you're holding that glass and the way you're raising it and moving it towards your face. And like, that bothers me a lot. But I'm glad to hear the sexual stuff bothers you too, because I would say that might be part of the intimacy coordination role or maybe the actor and how they perceive it. So this is obviously in Hollywood sets or in, you know, the mainstream industry, um, mainstream like film industry. Um, and so I guess like what I was saying was like so different about what we do is like, yeah, they're actually having sex. So obviously the coordination role is not so much coordination of like what you're saying, left foot here, right foot here, but it's more of being a liaison between the performers and production ensuring that boundaries are respected, ensuring that consent is being practiced on set, everything from like STI testing to um, the sexual health of the performers before, during, after set, and also just having that support system. As a film major yourself, you probably know production sets are pretty wild and they're busy and hectic, chaotic. chaotic. That's where I'm like, how could you get into the mood when they're like, you're hearing like a beeping sound because some machines moving around and then oh my goodness a cold breeze and now I'm like well I don't want to have sex I'm cold now like I'm not doing anything 100% I think what's nice about having intimacy coordinators and what's necessary about having them on set of porn sets is because you do come across very similar situations like that like you know we might be doing like a water scene or people are naked you know maybe we need to stop for a bit we have make sure we have the robes, we have the slippers, everyone's comfortable, no one's being 
forgotten in the midst of the chaos of production. And um, I think it's really great to be able to work with Erica Lust um, in the sense that I think the production team and the crew are very knowledgeable, respectful, experienced. And I think that that really helps because I guess in maybe other production sets or maybe in Hollywood, there's maybe more like power dynamics or ignorance involved. And so we're very, um, it's nice to feel like you're, you're, you know, we're all working towards the same goal. We still like are trying to hit the same values and uh, that are driving our, our work. So that's been, that's been really a pleasure. I feel like if I was an intimacy coordinator, I don't know. And like I was communicating with the team. I don't think I would have an issue with the, with the actual performance. I think my issue would come more with like the team. So I guess that's like the tricky part of being an intimacy coordinator is that you are working for both parties in a way, right? You don't want to piss off production um, and you don't want to piss off a performer or make them feel uncomfortable in any way. And so you are always trying to find ways to strike a balance, but also respect the flow of production. Um, but also make sure you respect if someone's not feeling good, not comfortable, then we don't go ahead. Um, and so that's been something that I feel like has been like not an, a challenge, I would say, but just something to be like super mindful of, especially if you're dealing with a situation where maybe there's six performers on set, at the same sex scene at the same time or something, you know, it would be very vigilant. And I think like you can avoid a lot of these challenges by just really, really having a very well-structured pre-production plan, making sure that people understand, the performers understand not only the character, the storyline, um, but also the expectations. What is the director thinking for this certain scene? And also we don't script our sex scenes to be like, do this, do this, do this. Usually in porn, you see like an order of operations and it usually ends in a cum shot. We don't right. have it. Right, That's so there's it. like a no table read. No, well, we do have like a script, you know, like we okay. do have like, it is very, um, Airclass films are great in the sense that it's like cinematography. Like there's a beautiful story. It's an art form. Yes, um, yes. So we have this um, channel called X Confessions. And that's that's what you're talking about. And so it's we crowdsource confessions. People send in their fantasies or what they would like to see. And um, we choose from these fantasies that people send in and turn it into a porn, which is quite cool because I feel like it really kind of like um, it adds that personal touch and it helps and allows people to find porn that they relate to which is like one of our biggest missions in the work that we do we want it to be relatable porn I think people are tired of seeing these like stereotypical um I don't know titles categories actions behaviors expectations sexualization the racism that exists in porn it's like it's just so prevalent and they're very tired um you know, overused, almost like I, like how I mentioned before, like there's an order of operations always. Right. Um, act one, act two, act three. And you always know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you always know, like, you know, like, oh, the, the dad dies in the second act. Like it's very like formulaic and you're like, I don't need to watch this. This isn't cinema. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You don't want to, you don't want to always expect the ending. And so it's, um, yeah, it's been a pleasure in that way. It is really cool to see people, um, people's fantasies come to life on set. It's I would love that. I'm so like, I love being super nosy in everybody's business. I have no <laughs> business there. But like, ooh, to scroll through and be like, oh my goodness, what y'all thinking about? Like, this is so interesting to me. Like, I'm just, I'm like, I'm like one of those friends. TMI doesn't exist. It's not in my, like, tell me about, God, I don't know, like a staph infection. I don't care. I just want to know all the details. So that is like so interesting to me. Something that I feel like I completely skipped over is like your journey into finding out that this was your field. So you said that you were touched by the sexologist that visited your school, which honestly, 
God, I wish I had a sexologist visit my school. Like I already knew, I was always one of those people where everybody knew that I was going to end up doing something like this, but everybody knew but me, which is kind of embarrassing. It's kind of like when you come out and everybody's like, oh, we know. And I was like, (laughs) I didn't. So (laughs) this is interesting how everybody was just reading me to filth every time I walk into the room and like, I didn't know. But your journey into it is just really interesting that I would like to know when you found out that like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And like you stepped into your first class, like, were you comfortable? Were you uncomfortable? Had you already like gotten used to it and you're like, okay, there's going to be a labia plastered on screen and I'm going to have to name everything and we're going to have to figure this out. Like, what was it like for you going to college for this? Ah, like going to college for it. Okay, so like the only thing that really stands out in my mind was that I felt a bit of shame to tell people what I was doing. So I don't necessarily remember like the big standout moments wasn't like sitting there and studying in my own room and reading about it and and um, I don't know, putting together my thesis and um, it was, yeah, it what comes to mind is like the moments at like dinner tables like my partner's family I'm like what are you doing oh Avril's in university now okay what are you studying what do you want to do with this um talking to my family about it like those were kind of like the things that really stood out to me the most um it was like it was your dirty little secret in a way you were like like when you were in school and when you're like studying you're like oh I'm so free I'm so fun and then someone like yeah. a stranger asks you and you're like I don't know <laughs> what do I do I'm a mystery. Yeah. And you know what? I I still think I'm a dang mystery to some people because I still have to choose who I tell people what I do. And like, you know, like there, I have different versions of what I tell people. I work in the porn industry. I work in the sex ed industry. I, I think the work I do is really important and fun and I, I enjoy it. And, um, I never stop learning (laughs) and, um, and unlearning to be honest. But uh, I, yeah, I, I just like, there, you can't always tell everybody everything that you're doing all the time, which is unfortunate. But I think that's like a very clear connection to society in general. It's more of a them problem, not a me problem. <laughs> like, it's just like, society's not there yet. Hope it will be. Can't always say exactly what I do to everybody. This particularly is interesting to me because I feel like, as an American, a lot of people view Europe as this free for all and like nobody cares. But the fact that you're like still in Europe and you're like, I still can't tell everybody my business. You never know who's like a secret undercover nun. That's very true. And I think you gave a really good example because, okay, so I agree. You know, I, I grew up in the States, born and raised. I left when I was 24. So I was very much influenced by the American culture, but I grew up in a house with European parents. My parents are Irish. Yeah, I think um, you gave a really good point. I think um, I did have this expectation that, you know, Europe was just like worlds ahead when it comes to talking about sex and talking about providing sex education. And maybe in some countries, yes, like I think Sweden's pretty good, the Nordic countries, Um, but it's still a huge struggle here. Um, They don't offer it to kids and teens. It's like something that still is a fight and a struggle. I think people are more comfortable, though. The example that you gave about going to like nude beaches or like just being comfortable in their own body. I will say that I find um, the sexualization of nude bodies just living, <laughs> like laying on a beach, um, was something I personally had to get over when I first came here. And it was something that my partner helped me work through. My partner's from here. And I was very like having a very strange reaction to it all at first you know but it's a good, yeah but it's a good thing that you had like a local on call that that's always, that's always good yeah, to have yeah, like yeah. a local where you can like, be like I don't know if this is normal like girl oh I'm scared like I'm, that's good I, yeah and it sucks and it sucks to talk about even now because I feel like wow it feels like so so old me now but like I remember just being like I don't know how to feel about this like I had to feel something about these people just like you needed it. to have an opinion on it. Yeah. Right. No. American society weirdly tells us to be so sexual. Yes. 
not that much though back it up you know like talk about sex sing about sex be about sex but don't ever have it never have it it. don't ever talk about it and yeah and don't be comfortable in your own body basically ever (laughs) and so i think like a lot of my struggle with getting comfortable with that when i moved here was just because i grew up in a space that was super sexualized, but was also restricting me completely and not providing me the education to understand that it's okay and normal to just be in your own body and enjoy the sun and lay there and go in the sea and be naked. And there's nothing sexual about it. It's just a body. And so um, that was a huge hump to get over. And I'm, once I was over it, I've never looked back. I was like, wow, thank God. Because mm, the freedom. Allowed- the freedom and it allows me to do the work I do so much easily now it's been a journey but that this is like seven years ago Avril thank god over <laughs> so interesting because my dad he always complains about this which is very strange that this is like one of his complaints about America is that he's like I don't understand why bodies are so sexualized here like because like they come from like a village with like less than 100 people and they're like we used to go bathe in the river and like if I saw a naked woman it wasn't anything but they're also Protestant so like if he saw a woman with like like wearing a dress that was like too low cut he's also like gasp I cannot believe that she's wearing such a dress and I'm like you grew up bathing in the river with like local women yet you're all of a sudden you see a partially covered titty and now you're like gasping for air like ready to throw yourself on into like oncoming traffic like what's going on here yeah it's always contextual it's always like yeah always depends it's like where's the guidebook please somebody please That is something I definitely need because I, it's um kind of like that debate on like why women's breasts in America are like censored so much when you can show like the fat around it, but you can't show the nipple. But what makes the women, what makes female breasts different from male chest is the fat, but the fat is okay to show, but the nipple isn't okay to show, but we both have nipples. Right. So like, why is that the part that like, yeah. is gonna like scar the children yeah it's so true i've never heard it breaking down like that before i don't know why i never thought about it but yeah exactly i've been breaking down a lot of things like last semester i gave like a speech mm-hmm. um i took a speech class and like i gave a speech about the absolutely like abysmal state of like the u.s sex education and um i pointed out that like sex work is illegal unless it's recorded and you put it online for everybody to see because then it's adult entertainment and so it's okay. But like, you just can't have it and not record it and post it for everyone to see, which is kind of like how everything is like upside down. It's not even ass backwards. It's like ass upside down and sideways. Yeah. And it, it it's so interesting because I think like, if you look at on a global scale, America is still one of the most, dangerous or, or less protected spaces to be in as a sex worker. Um, and it's, it's unless, like you said, it's recorded and it's used for the sale of something. It's like, okay, hello, capitalism. Um, and so it's just, it's, it's something that I think is at the heart of what I do, what we do is like, and, and as an intimacy coordinator and, and what I do in the work of the porn conversation and what we do at Eric Less is just like really keeping at the heart of things, you know, that we are advocating for sex workers rights, that we understand that um, the work that we do with sex workers is so important and that having an intimacy coordinator, for example, and having fair pay and transparency and all these values that we hold super deeply and I hold deeply in my own work is making sure that we're bettering the lives and bettering the world, bettering the world and, and yeah. political shifts and changes. Is it still a struggle out here too? You know, it's not perfect. It's not great. And we, you know, sex workers' rights are human rights. And I think it's something that we need to um, like really think about. Like people don't really think they're part of the porn industry as consumers and they don't contribute yeah this and it's like yes you do right <laughs> so, like, it's so interesting that you said like um sex workers rights are human rights because like i am gen z so of course i was on tiktok and um i saw this woman that was doing a skit about like the 
the horrible state that like male center like podcasting is kind of in right now where the title was like hoes are not humans and i was like oh yes i couldn't put my finger on what it is but i was like yeah you don't really think these people like eat drink sleep you don't think they do like the regular stuff do you how has covid kind of affected your relationship with sex mm covid fun covid was definitely a big shift in society especially when it comes to pleasure and sex i think like everyone always expects the answer to be like i masturbated like crazy over lockdown Actually, I went probably more into fight or flight mode than ever before, and I wasn't connected to pleasure. I was connected to things that were distracting for me and exciting, and I was talking a lot about sex, and I was connecting with others, but I didn't necessarily feel it within myself. So it's been kind of something that has shifted during COVID, um, but not the way I would I would have expected it to. I feel like now I'm definitely more exploratory. I really want to learn more and be around more queer spaces than ever before. I want to learn. I want to absorb. I want to feel and live and be in the moment than ever before. Right. Yeah, death sexuality. kind of makes you want to make makes you want to feel alive. So I get that. Yeah, I would say that's the thing. And that's only something that I've only checked in and noticed recently within myself that I was like, oh, this is post-COVID, Avril. Yeah, that'll get you. I Oh, my goodness. So you had that realization, too, where you're like, I just made it through the storm. But the storm's not really gone away. But it kind of feels like I made it out. But I'm not yeah. out yet. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and I had that feeling, too. That's great. I think, I think it's a good feeling. I don't know how you felt about it. But it, it felt great. For sure. I mean, well, I guess I can't really compare our experience since I did graduate during the pan during the pandemic. Like I'm part of my brain is still like, this is just a two week vacation from school and I'll go back. It's I'm never going back. But yeah, that what was what a strange time for to graduate. I was thinking a lot. I was thinking a lot about people going into university and university students during that time because I was sitting at home and I was like. Those are the best years of my life. I can't believe these people, these poor kids and students. Yeah, look, I didn't get a prom. They can't live. Yeah. You know what? Prom sucks. I really didn't like prom, so. I was never going to (laughs) go. I just, no, I just, I literally, I just tell people that because I know they're always going to be like, oh, and I'm like, girl, I did not pay the prom. Oh, I hated prom. Yeah, I was over at that point. So. Yeah, I was so ready. I mean, I've had senioritis since elementary school. So like I was so ready to go. Oh my goodness. This is such like a Middle Eastern goodbye where I'm like, last question, last question, but I have like two more. Okay. First question is if you have like a favorite sex toy, if you don't mind sharing. And also, is there like one sex toy that you have come across that's like extremely bizarre? Oh my gosh. What a great question. Uh, okay. So clitoral stimulators, 100%. I'm a big clitoral stimulation fan. Um, and I would say Finn by Dame is great because it's probably one of the only clitoral stimulators that I know on the market that you can use during partnered sex too. It's like, it doesn't get between you and the other body, which is nice. I've heard so many things. Dame. Oh my goodness. What a brand. Love them. It's really the colors. The colors got me. The jewel tones. That's exactly what I was I was like, their branding is just delicious. So, yes, I like them a lot. As far as a bizarre sex toy, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm quite open. I mean, like, I don't think anything is bizarre. I feel like I'm very open-minded and respectful of everyone's interests. Yeah, I guess I guess I kind of worded that wrong by bizarre. I just kind of meant quirky or weird. Like for example, like I saw a sex toy that was like shaped like a banana, like a split banana. And I was like, it's like it's like peeled, like a peeled, like a half peeled banana. And I was like, huh. Okay, okay. That's kind of fun. I have an answer then for sure. Um, so I was working on set on a film a couple months ago, and there were toys that were shaped as cupcakes. 
and I thought it was such a bizarre shape and texture. Um, and they were just like vibrating cupcakes. And, Are those um, the satisfier, like the ones with like the little flaps? No, no, they were no, that's literally. Ice cream. Honestly, I don't even remember the brand. I wish I, I could, but it was literally just like cupcakes with like the ice, like the sprinkles and everything that's not designed. And then you like pressed a button on the bottom and it was flat and it just like, like moved across the table if you put it on a table. So interesting. Um, and I thought that was interesting because I just thought like, one, I'm 100% super excited and happy anytime there's a sex toy that hits the market that's not phallic in design. <laughs> <laughs> but um also it was a cupcake so i was like okay interesting i this texture for me uh was really i didn't i didn't get it very much but they each don't own and it, it it looked it looked great so. i mean it's a cupcake so it's like how can you literally yuck a yum you know you but can. that is that's so interesting for me it was like um this banana but i think the first bizarre sex toy that i ever saw was like a rubber ducky Okay. And I was like, okay. I was like, oh, I get it. Because, like, all the girls are always, like, in the bathroom, in the bathtub. Yeah, I guess that makes I mean, sense. Yeah. You know, I think for many people with vulvas, the shower head was definitely probably, like, our first sexual partner. So That's what I found out. I didn't know that was... <laughs> I, I heard about it. I oh heard about God. it from, like, millennials. But I was like, I've never heard someone, like, from my own age group say that. But then I went to my little all-girls camp, and then the girls were telling me. They were like, no, it's true. I was like, oh, well, then I got to try this out. Yeah, 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 Still yeah. Still haven't, it, but wow. I mean, honestly. The pressure must be crazy. That's what they were telling me. Still don't know pressure, for sure. Yeah, honestly, it, it's great. And I think it's great, you know, if you don't want to waste any water, you can do it when you're filling up a bathtub or something, you know. Mm. I didn't even wow innovation innovation sustainability oh yes oh my god reduce <laughs> reuse recycle that's crazy yes, yes. oh okay you gotta stay, you gotta stay uh inventive my pleasure yeah okay <laughs> well thank you so much for being here so that has been the Avril Louise Clark. You can find her on her website, sexologygirl.com, as well as The Porn Conversation. And you can find her on Instagram at sexologygirl. And you can find me at wisevibrating.com, as well as why it vibrates on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And yeah, that's all I got for you folks. <laughs>